due to technical difficulties, we missed recording the first two minutes of Joseph's sermon. The scripture passage this week is from Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 49. Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 49. Then later on, in John chapter 9, Verse 5, we read Jesus speaking. He says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, as we read, Paul and Barnabas are preaching in this city. The word of the oddness of their message in some ways, the hope, the good news of their message, the the promises that they are declaring that are very amazing and hope-filled and that are very attractive to to a world that is lost in darkness, that is overcome by the power of sin, the addictive nature, if you want, the inability to turn aside from it, to put it to death, All of these are things that the whole world sees. You can't live in Cincinnati or probably anywhere in this country, but certainly in this area we know that the problem of drugs is absolutely disastrous and that it cuts across all social spectrums, all social barriers that are normally in place. Maybe the kinds of drugs change, but that the problem is hitting all the demographics, right? You've got men and women, you've got blue-collar workers, you've got unemployed, you've got white-collar, you have nurses, right, who, who... Of all people, you'd think education would solve this problem. That would be someone who would never overdose on drugs, right? And yet, we see that man by himself is unable to conquer his own desires, right? And so here Paul and Barnabas are, and they're preaching, and they're proclaiming this message of hope, of salvation from our sins. And in one way, that is the salvation from the power that they hold over us, right? Salvation from our sins doesn't just mean the judgment that those sins deserve. It means salvation from the sins that overcome so that we are no longer under their power. As this message begins to spread through the town, Paul and Barnabas begin to uh, have a lot of people who want to hear what they're going to say the next time they speak publicly. And it spreads throughout the town. Hey, the place where these guys preach is at the Jewish synagogue. And the time when they do it is when the synagogue is in session, when they meet at the synagogue, the Sabbath. And so it says that nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Can you imagine? 
What a beautiful thing that is. What a glorious, wonderful thing. More and more people showing up. More and more people showing up. Pretty soon there's no room left, right? People standing at the door. And we've seen this with Jesus, that he would preach in a house and the house would be full and the street would be full and the surrounding windows and doors would all be filled and you couldn't get near him. Why? Well, I'm sure some people were there simply for the spectacle of it. You know how uh, crowds are, right? Everyone's looking off to the left, and so what do you do? You look off to the left, right? Because what are they all looking at? But of course, we know that's not the only reason why people were there to hear Jesus, the light of the world. We know it's also not the only reason why they were there to hear Paul and Barnabas. And so, as they begin to gather and gather and more and more people come in, after a while, the people who were already there every week, the Jews, begin to be upset, begin to get jealous. Why would they be jealous when so many people come and join in their service of worship to the Lord? Not just jealous, but through that jealousy, they then begin to contradict the things spoken by Paul, which is to say, they begin to contradict the preaching of God's word, which is to say, they begin to contradict the gospel. You see, this is what Paul and Barnabas are preaching. This is what the Jews, out of their jealousy, reject and contradict and are even driven to blaspheming. And so when Paul and Barnabas see what the Jews are doing, they say, since you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now in this passage you have this you have this tension, if you will, um, that even exists to this day in the church with uh, on the one hand, there being the reformed, those who believe in tulip or who believe in Calvinism, or whatever you want to call it, okay, the doctrines of grace, and on the other hand, Arminianism, right? And generally, we have a, we have a temptation to um, try to do away with tensions. We don't like tensions. 
We don't like how messy they are, how difficult they are to think about. And so we try to dismiss completely the tension by, by getting rid of something that's uncomfortable that, that makes that tension rise up. In this passage, what you see first is this description of the Jews as judging themselves unworthy of eternal life, which might sound a lot like free will, right? They judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. Therefore, he turns away from them in proclaiming the message and begins to preach to the Gentiles, who are actually the ones who are excited to be there, excited to hear the gospel, excited to hear the word of God preached, right? But then, just a couple of verses later, we read that the Gentiles, when they heard the good news, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. as many as had been appointed to eternal life. You see, there's no escaping the tension between the fact that God has chosen, appointed some to salvation, to eternal life, to have personal faith, which brings us back into the realm of man and our mind and our will and our power, right? And you get back, you go back those couple other verses and you see them judging themselves unworthy of eternal life. And you realize there's no lack of them making a decision, is there? There's no lack of responsibility coming down on them and, and the consequences, the result the judgment of God falling on them in Paul and Barnabas turning away from them and no longer proclaiming the good news to them, but beginning to proclaim it to those who are bearing fruit in the kingdom. The Gentiles, right? You see how Paul and Barnabas turning away from them and no longer preaching the gospel to them you see how that is the consequence of their own decision to act out of jealousy, to contradict the preaching of God's word, and to blaspheme him. Now, It's that, it's that verse 48 where it says, as many has been appointed to eternal life believed, that prevents us, of course there are many other places as well, but in this passage, there's no, there's no jumping onto that. Well, they judged themselves, it's all on them, it's all their decision, God had nothing to do with this, right? We, we can't do that. Because what we see here is such a clear description of what God is accomplishing in the Gentiles. He has appointed some to believe. And so the only way that we can understand this is to understand that he had not appointed 
others. He had not appointed the Jews, and therefore they rejected him. And of course, you know that in Romans, when Paul goes down this path, he says, so then you'll say, how come it's their fault? Why doesn't God get the blame? Right? And then we know we're understanding him correctly if in this passage we, we run into that same question. We think, well, how come, how come they get the blame if God hasn't chosen them and they have no ability? Well, the reason they get the blame is because out of jealousy they contradict the gospel and blaspheme. They sin. They reject God. The consequences of that are catastrophic. Death, judgment, eternal fire. On the other hand, there's no dismissing the fact that the word of God was being proclaimed to the Jews and to the Gentiles in spite of the fact that God had already chosen from the foundations of the world those whom he would make and call to be his own. And so... As I read those verses in John where Jesus is called the light, the true light, which enlightens every man, having come into the world, and also while he says, I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, we are his body on earth, and we are the light. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, we read, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. And that's why Paul takes the quote about Jesus and applies it to himself and Barnabas. How are Paul and Barnabas being light? How is it that they can quote that verse from Isaiah, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. How can they say that? They know it's speaking of the Messiah. How can they say that in the context of themselves? And the answer is because they had been appointed to this work. The apostles. Paul, in fact, was the apostle to the Gentiles, right? That you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. There is a temptation for us to reject 
the proclamation of the gospel message. To say God has chosen everybody who he has chosen, he will save. Therefore, we should not be going out and proclaiming the good news. And the reason that's a temptation, well, there's many reasons. <laughs> but of course, one of the reasons is because we want to do away with that tension of, well, you know, free will, right? And on the other hand, predestination. Or we want to do away with the tension that we see in these very verses. They, having judged themselves unworthy of salvation, and on the other hand, God, having appointed some to eternal life, and them believing. <clears throat> As individuals, we have different roles in the body. We see that in that, in that 1 Corinthians 12 verse I read. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Pieces, parts. Individual parts of the body. Just as there are families and individuals have different places in that family. Some are sons and some are daughters. Some are mothers, some are fathers, right? And even to the extent that some in the family are, you know, the black sheep, and others are the comedian, and others are the, you know, how every family, you know, certain people have the certain characteristic role that they play. There is the firstborn, and there is the middle child, right? And they, and they have those, those things that they do that are very characteristic. Well, here we see that we are Christ's body. So now we are the light. But we all play different roles. We all have different parts in that body. Not everybody is out preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles from city to city in the synagogues, right? Paul and Barnabas are sent out to do that. You understand? We do not all have that work to do. But some of us do have that work to do, and none of us are exempt from the work of being the light. There are many places... <clears throat> where we are described as light, commanded to be light. That work of being light is described. And so, yes, we shine in different ways, but I hope none of it will be infrared because the whole point of infrared is we can't see it. Right? And... The whole point of being the light, as Paul and Barnabas are speaking of here, is that it is what? Visible. Seeable. You can see it. Though what exactly are they supposed to see? 
What does it mean for us to be the light? Well, primarily it means for us to be godly. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, we read, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Being a light means being godly. Being a light means your deeds demonstrate what? Your Father's glory. So anytime your deeds reflect poorly on your Father, that is not you being a light. It's the opposite of being a light, isn't it? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Don't be ashamed of the godly things that you do privately just because others are around. Now, that may sound like a strange thing to say. But don't be embarrassed for others to see you praying. You see, this is you being a light. This is one of your good works. A good work is prayer. That's a good hard work, isn't it? How many of you know what hard work is like? <laughs> and so we, we pray, right? And when do we pray? Well, one of the times we pray is before meals, right? unless we're out in public, because we don't want to be a light, you understand. No, that's not why, right? Isn't the temptation for us not to pray in public simply because we don't want to appear to be uh, goody-two-shoes or holier-than-thou or just plain embarrassment? I mean, the worst case is we're just embarrassed to be known as Christians. We're embarrassed to be known as children of God. And therefore, we don't want to pray in public, right? What a sad thing for us to have the light and then to hide it under a bushel. And this is why I say don't be ashamed of the godly things that you do privately. Because many of you are willing to do good works as long as nobody else sees those good works. And we can even twist it around and say, well, you know, Jesus said, don't pray in the streets where everybody can see you. So, because then, now, now, Matthew 5, you understand, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the same place where Jesus was talking about not doing your deeds in front of men in order to be seen by them. <clears throat> and yet he says, When you light your lamp, don't put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand. It's meant to be seen. The difference is, are you glorifying your Father, or are you glorifying yourself? That's the question at the heart of this. 
Are you embarrassed to be seen reading your Bible? Are you embarrassed to do family devotions when other people visit you or your family? Are you embarrassed to be caught reading your Bible? Are you embarrassed to be recognized as a friend to the uncool? Being a friend to the uncool is a good work. Another good, hard work. Don't be ashamed of being a light. When you need to worry about praying in public is when everybody will pat you on the back for it. Not when they'll look at you like, what in the world is he doing? Because then your reward is in heaven, isn't it? Almost every time we are described, God's children are described as light, it's with regard to our behavior. Because it has to be seen to be light. In Ephesians 5, 3 through 10, we read, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these, because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now you could say, you were formerly in darkness, and now you are in light. But here in Ephesians 5 we read, now you were formerly darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, your behavior, it has to be light. And not only that, but I love that add that little add-on at the end of the verse, verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. <clears throat> trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. It takes work to know what being a light is in any given situation, doesn't it? How do I be a light in this circumstance? Many, many difficult 
unexpected circumstances that occur to us in life happen sort of out of the blue, and you're left going, whoa, I wasn't prepared for that. I don't know what I should have done, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't what I did. And so what do you do with that? Thank you, son. Well, you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord so that you can be a more effective light. Being a light, though, there's another aspect of being a light besides just doing good because you know light <clears throat> shines and then what happens? It shines on things and then you can see them, right? And so... <clears throat> Having the lights off allows things to hide, allows people to hide. Having the lights on means that everything's going to be visible, right? Well, in Ephesians 5, verse 11, he continues and explains that that light also exposes wickedness. Do not, he says in verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. It's lit up. It's become visible. So if we are going to be a light, the first thing we are going to be is obedient. We are going to be doing good deeds, and that will be a light shining. It will be glorifying our Heavenly Father. But the next thing is that it will be exposing wickedness for what it is. And so how do we expose wickedness? Well, the the funny thing is that the answer is by doing good things. It's precisely by doing good things, first and foremost, that bad things are exposed for what they really are. While others are doing the opposite, and you do good, you reflect very poorly on them. It's the very contrast of what you look like versus what they look like, what you're doing versus what they're doing, right? You can see this in school, in classrooms. You can see it in work environments. You know that there's people who are lazy, who don't work hard, who uh, end up leaving as early as they can coming in as late as possible, taking as long a break as they can get away with without getting in trouble. And you may be one of those people. The worst possible thing for one of those people is to have as an office mate some hard-working, early-rising, in-on-time, every-time, early, staying late, getting it all done, working as hard as they can, staying there, 
It's like, would you quit it? You're making me look bad. Right? In contrast, laziness, that darkness, is ugly, isn't it? But without contrast there, if everybody's doing the same thing, then nobody has to feel bad because everybody's in the dark. The moment that some person comes in and starts working hard and upsets the balance, everyone's going to love them for how much they're getting done, right? No. Nobody will like them because they're exposing the deeds of darkness simply through that good behavior. Isn't that interesting? All you have to do to expose the deeds of darkness is just do the deeds of light, and then you are light, and then you shine, and then just by doing that, boom, the light is shining. And anything around, anyone around that's, that's evil, that's, that's darkness, is exposed for what it really is. It's so simple, isn't it? It's just, it's just like a light switch. You turn it on, and all of a sudden, boom, everything's visible. But as long as the light switch was off, there was no contrast, everything was dark, you couldn't tell what was going on. One other bit of exposing wickedness, though, is by not giving silent approval to wicked deeds. Of course, you can't give your actual approval to wickedness. That would be to promote wickedness, right? That would be to be wicked. But there's this sort of in-between stage where we don't give our approval to it explicitly, but we try our best not to expose it by, like, you know, hiding the fact that we're coming in early. Oh, no, I just got here. Don't worry about me. Or uh, by, by winking at wickedness. That tacit, that silent approval. Now, this, this is very tempting. <clears throat> uh, whenever we're in a context where sin is being embraced by somebody. So, of course, um, in sexual sin, adultery, a friend you know is committing adultery, and it's like, just keep your mouth shut. That silent approval, right? Really, darkness feels very threatening to us. We're afraid of what exposing it will look like. We're afraid of what the results will be in relationships, in the job place, at school, friends. But we have to speak up. Yes, your good deeds do expose their bad deeds, but you also have to speak. You've heard the old saying, preach the gospel 
at all times, if necessary, use words. Words are necessary. Yes, you are being a light simply by being obedient. But there's no there's no silence. No tacit approval in the light. The point of this, of course, we know is not to be harsh and condemning, but because the gospel starts with pointing out sin and its effects. If you're giving silent approval, it's because you're worried about yourself, you're not worried about them. And now is where we get to the understanding, the realization that to be a light means to be excited for the news to spread to others. I have a headlamp, and it has a uh, has a switch that is just a smooth curve from one side to the other. And as you as you turn it up, it gets brighter and brighter, and you can go back the other direction to where it's really dim. Right? You, sometimes flashlights have you can press them twice, and they'll have a, like a second level of brightness, or they'll get dimmer or brighter, I don't know. Um, Can you imagine being a light and then, you know, wanting to dim it? How do I turn this down? It's too bright. Too much light going on around here. People are going to see it. And And you say, yeah, and what will happen? Well, what will happen is precisely what we see happening in our passage. Some will become jealous. Some will blaspheme. Some will reject that good news that comes from the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And others will rejoice. And as many as are appointed by the Lord will believe and be saved. Why? Because the light has shone into the darkness. Jesus did not come into the world to be a candle. One candle watt, right? Is that what they're called? Yeah, I think that's what they're called. When Jesus came into the world, it was to set the whole world on fire. The light was to spread. Yeah, starting small with just a few people in one little area of the world, right? But to grow and grow and grow and to spread and spread until all of the world sees. All of the world hears. All of the world is lit up. The light is the good news of the gospel. Living in the light is what makes us shine ourselves. If we're living in the darkness, we have no light to shine into the lives of others. So if you hear me saying, be a light, and you think, I don't want my deeds to be exposed, then you understand what needs to happen first is you have to get in the light to be a light. (laughs) 
Maybe a better way of putting it is, we're more like the moon than the sun. (laughs) You know how once a month the new moon comes? There's no moon. The whole moon is in shadow. It's in darkness. It doesn't produce light on its own, does it? And then a few weeks later, it's full. It's bright. Because why? Because it's in the light. And then when it is in the light, it shines. Have you ever been out on a full moon night? Out in the country where it's really, really dark? You can see the shade of the the shadow of the blades of grass from the light of the moon, reflecting the light of the sun. The light is the good news. If you have the gospel, then you have the light. If you have believed the gospel, you are a light. You are reflecting. You are shining that light. And it means that we're spreading the news about Christ. Yes, each in our own way. Not everybody is a Paul. Not everybody is an Apollos. Not everybody is a Barnabas. Right? Some are. But we're all light. It's not about getting people into our new cool club, right? We don't need another uh, social community gathering place. Community is great. Socializing is fun. But the purpose is that God is glorified. So often we need to go back to the basics of the gospel. Sin, repentance, forgiveness, and obedience. Four words. I mean, I know you've all been taught at various times various ways of sharing the gospel, things you can remember, colors, but those words are so simple, so easy to remember. Starts with sin, repentance, forgiveness, that glorious, glorious hope that we have that we can be saved, and then leads into obedience. And that obedience is when our light is shining, it's shining. When we forget or ignore one of those things, we lose any concept of the truly good news that we have heard. Because we're not living in the light. And unless we live in the light, we have no light to shine. So let us be a faithful body of believers with our various gifts in our various ways Shining. Shining. Combining together to be a bigger, 
broader, brighter light. Let's pray.